hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of What's Next. I am your host, Tiffany Bova, and I have the honor and pleasure of welcoming today's guest, Lisa Lutoff Perlow. She is the Vice Chairman of External Affairs at Royal Caribbean Group. She's a high-impact leader in the travel and hospitality industry whose vision and strategy not only propelled celebrity cruises to achieving transformational financial results, but also dramatically increased the number of women in leadership roles throughout the celebrity brand. Her passion for building extraordinary ships, creating unique experiences, and opening up the world through travel has brought recognition and countless awards to her and celebrity cruises. But Lisa is here today to talk about her hot off the press's new book, Making Waves, A Woman's Rise to the Top Using Smarts, Heart, and Courage. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thank you, Tiffany. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Well, I'm thrilled to have you. You know, I've had uh, a former CEO of Marriott, uh, one of the founders of the Ritz. Oh, um, and go. now, you know, I've got you from Celebrity <laughs> from the Cruise Line. So I there feel like I'm going to have this wonderful body of work in the hospitality space. So thank you for joining us again. My pleasure. And I'm glad Cruise is on the list. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so yes. we're going to start off with bullish and bearish. Bullish, you're okay. for it. Bearish, you're against it. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. The first one, an AI boat captain. Oh, bearish. Okay. All right. Doc, uh, captain Sandy will be happy to hear that. And Captain uh, Kate, next. my captain. Yeah. My, my famous captain, Captain yeah. Kate. Yeah. Yes. And Captain Kate, the first one. <laughs> right. All right. The next one, space travel tours. Bullish. Okay. Why All right. Not? Why, Why not? not? Why not? All right. And the next one, Celestial Navigation. Bullish. Good. Love to hear that. Yeah. So I'm from Hawaii, um, and we have a boat that still travels around the islands and uses the old ways called uh -huh. the Hokulea. And so they okay. do it by the stars, and okay. they fish, yeah. and they travel yeah. with the food that they need, yeah. and everything yeah. is as it would have been hundreds uh -huh. of years ago. Wow. And so, you know, when you see the big ships, I'm always like, if something goes wrong with the, you know, with the computer system, can they still find their way? Well, it's interesting that you say that. And I'm glad you opened that for conversation because yes, the navigational systems on the bridge are state of the art. They're phenomenal, but they still have the maps on the bridge. No, they still have the navigational hand done maps where they can navigate old school or new school. And is it part of the now, you know, if you're going to be a captain that you have to be able to not only, you know, navigate via the very complex systems, but you have to be able to do it on the paper maps as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because to your point, systems can go down. God forbid, you know, and for anybody, it's just like pilots, you know, they're on autopilot until they can't be on autopilot and they have to still be able to navigate the skies. So sure. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, let's dig into making waves. And I have to say, I was super thrilled to when I was doing my homework for our conversation to learn that you started out as a quota carrying individual sales rep. Yeah. Yeah. Door to door. And your goal was, by the way, to take your thunder on this was to be the VP of sales. And then <laughs> you became the CEO of Celebrity Cruises. So take us along that journey. And it was a 40-year journey. Yeah. Well, it was 40 years in the company. It was a 30-year journey from door-to-door -door salesperson to president and CEO of Celebrity. And 
um, to that point, Tiffany, when I was, uh, you know, I'm a salesperson at heart and I don't care what they say, sales is an unbelievably valuable skill that you need to learn if you're going to do anything in this world because we're always selling something. So that, that served me well. My start has served me well throughout my whole career and life. But when I was navigating my way, pardon the pun, through the sales organization for 17 years, my one sole ambition was to be the vice president of sales. And what I learned and part of my story is that, and I'm hoping to impart a lesson for those who are listening or will read the book, is that sometimes your linear path is limiting. And what ended up happening is that I never became the vice president of sales because someone else had a different idea for me. And this person saw more in me than I guess I saw in myself because he thought I could do more than just be in sales. And so he moved me into marketing and I didn't want to go. I went kicking and screaming. I thought my career was over. My dreams were shattered. All my aspirations had fallen by the wayside. Little did I know that that first move that I was so opposed to ended up being the best thing that could have happened to me because it was the first of many moves that got me prepared for and into president and CEO role at Celebrity Cruises. So that's I mean, a very abbreviated story of a very long and interesting career, but yeah, that's how it all happened. You and I had a very similar experience when I was running sales and then, you know, I thought I wanted to be the head of sales and then someone said, take over marketing <laughs> and, and I went kicking and screaming as well. Okay, and I think that go. that's the love hate relationship between sales and marketing as well, which I'm sure we could talk about for hours, but I'd love to hear what you found the most surprising when you went from sales to marketing, what you were like, wow, I wish more salespeople actually understood this because if they did, they'd probably be more successful in their selling career. Well, what was interesting in, in my sales role in our company is we did do some marketing because we marketed with our customers. So we, we went um, to our distribution channel, the intermediary, the tra our travel partners, and we sold and marketed celebrity cruises through their agencies or through their big conglomerates. So we did have some experience in marketing. But what's so different about sales and marketing is sales is tangible, right? Every day, you know what you sold, you have your quotas, you're measuring yourself against your quotas. If you're competitive or if you're driven and results oriented, like I've always been, you loved that. Marketing is more ethereal. Marketing is hard to, harder to measure. And so I'm thinking, how am I going to go from, you know, this very specific thing where I could definitely measure my effort and my results to something that's more ethereal. But I think what I learned is that, first of all, building a brand is very, very important. And marketing is all about building your brand, whether it's, you know, old school TV, magazine, billboards, whatever, or digital marketing. It's all about building the brand. And I think salespeople really need to understand brand. And I think it's a critical function because oftentimes what I find in sales is people are more interested in making the sale than protecting the integrity of the brand. And so what I would say is that all salespeople should understand how important branding really is as it relates to the product that they have to sell and doing everything they can to preserve and build that brand. I, I, I agree. And, and I think that some point you made the comment about like the career progression is not always linear and that you felt like 
someone saw more in you. But if you put that aside a sec for a second, because I want to come back to that, it's just the kind of going left to go right to go forward, mm -hmm. that the experience you accumulate in these different roles, even if it's sideways, lateral, maybe even down in your mind, mm -hmm. you just can't beat it. No, you can't. And so many people don't understand that. And that's a lesson in the book. Not all paths are linear and not everyone has a plan. And like I said, I limited myself by only wanting to be the head of sales. And I have talked to so many people ask that want to understand my career and how I navigated it and how I got from where I went to where I got. And so much of it is sideways and different moves into different parts of the organization, different brands, lateral moves, progressive moves, but they were moves. And with every move, I learned more and I became a better leader. And I became a leader who was more involved in more aspects of the business and the company. And it just made me a more valuable candidate when it finally came time for me to ascend or be chosen to ascend into the president and CEO role at Celebrity. So you were there, as you said, 30 years before you got to president CEO and then another 10. Yeah. I don't know how many people listening who are working somewhere would go, you know what? I think I'm going to be here 30 or 40 years. I don't know. Yeah. Right. I don't know if that's a generational thing, time thing. Don't know. I, I, my longest has been 10. That was sort of my longest run. And that was like long by a long mile. Like it was like two and a half or three and then to 10, right? Like that was a big jump for me. And I often hear with leaders that they'll say something like, we have this institutional knowledge and we want someone on the inside because they know how to navigate, forget the pun again, <laughs> versus someone from the outside who has to kind of learn. And because you were inside a company and very successful doing so, what are the pros and cons of that? Well, you know, before I started in our company, the longest I ever had a job was a year or a year and a half. And I remember I had a boyfriend at the time and I was very close to his parents and his dad used to tease me all the time. Oh, Lisa, years up. Where are you going next? And I, you know, of course we laughed, ha ha ha, but it really wasn't funny because I was just jumping around. I think what ended up happening and why I stayed in our company for so long is because number one, it was an industry that has grown significantly over the 39 years that I've been a part of it. So there was a tremendous amount of growth, a tremendous amount of opportunity and upward mobility if I was willing to move around and also move from where I grew up, which is Massachusetts, down here to Florida, which was a big deal for me and a big change. I'm a family girl at heart and leaving my family was really hard, but I knew that unless I moved to Florida, I wasn't going to grow with the company and I was probably going to be looking at another career move. But I always found that even when I was building teams, I always think there's a nice balance and blend of new versus institutional knowledge, because I think you always need that. I think I became a better leader and learned more and challenged myself more along the way by being parts of teams that were both in internal and external. And I was always the type of leader that was open to change and listening to new ideas. So I think even if you have this institutional knowledge, which to your point, Tiffany, is critically important for companies to continue to grow into the future, you also have to have a blend of trying new things, learning new things, evolving, transforming your business like I transformed celebrity. So because I'm a transformative person anyway, and I don't like incremental change, I like big change, I had this good combination of being someone who was was in the company, but also could look at things in a transformative way and surround myself with 
equal parts of industry knowledge but transformational thinking. And I do think as a leader and as a person, if you can have that combination, again, it just makes you more valuable and even makes your time, like your 39 years, more fun and interesting as you, I look back and say, I can't believe it's been, I've been in the company for almost four decades. It's crazy to think that. Do you think that those who have been at a company for longer versus new have a different opinion of transformative change? Sometimes, yes. I mean, sometimes I would think that the people even on my team were less willing to try new things or might have the tendency to say, we tried that before or we did that before. I think sometimes internal people think more incrementally than transformationally because they're always looking at something from the same lens. You know, you've been in, and our company has a tremendous amount of tenure. I mean, the, the amount of time that people stay in our company is probably, I would say we're far outside of the norm as it relates to other industries, just again, because it's growing and it's big and it's interesting and exciting. And so people stay around for a really long period of time. But I think even the people that have been there for a while who even think that they might not always think as transformationally as they need to, they welcome new people coming in to even challenge them. And I think as professionals and as leaders, I think we always need to be open to that and open to changing. And I think as we encounter people along the way that might not be, we we really need to coach them out of that or manage them out because you know, I have this saying among many that I love, and it, you know, it's Darwin's theory of evolution, which I know not everybody agrees with. So putting that aside, you know, the the t-shirt that I got when I was in the Galapagos is evolve or become extinct. And I really think that we need to think about that and all business does, because you think about some of these transformative businesses that have disrupted the way they have, you know, you really have to be willing to think about how you're going to change your business to stay relevant. Well, one of the areas that you really evolved celebrity was your percentage of women on the bridges was 3%. Mm-hmm. And during your tenure, you went from 3% to 33%, mm-hmm. which is not insignificant, especially yeah. in an industry where the average is like 2%. Right. And I was actually shocked by that because I feel like hospitality tends to have a a, a more balanced, if you will, Mm -hmm. demographic. But clearly in maritime, that is not the case. Is there a reason why that was? And then what things did you sort of put in place? Because I think this this goes back to institutional knowledge of it's always been this way. Well, it's always been male dominated and, you know, it's working. We're growing. Why change it? And, oh, what are the complications changing is going to bring to the business. So how did you work yourself through that? Hmm. Well, that's a, that's, yeah, there's a, there's a lot there. And let me, let me try to unpack it as best I can. So when I became the first uh, woman in our company to be appointed as president and CEO of one of our brands, it was a big deal for me. And uh, it was a big deal for our company. And I also knew it was a big opportunity for me to bring other women along with me because I felt like that was an obligation and a responsibility and a joy to do because when I left sales and marketing 21 years into my career and came over to operations, I realized in our industry, operations is heavily, heavily, heavily male dominated. I never thought about gender in sales and marketing because to your point, there were plenty of women. It was very balanced. And it was very imbalanced when I joined operations, which was kind of an awakening for me. And what I realized is that, you know, I'm, I'm very bullish 
on inclusion and I'm very bearish on intolerance. And so I, I knew that in order to improve the culture and improve our results, I needed to balance out culture and gender. So my first big move was to appoint Captain Kate as the first and still only American woman to be the captain of a mega cruise ship. And she is an amazing rock star. And we started from there. And I do want to make a point that the reason we were able to go from 3% to 33% is because of the amazing men that I worked with who believed in gender balance and equality as much as I did and who were actually the ones out recruiting all these women from all over the world. And to your point, it's not easy to go from 3% to 33% because you don't find that many women opting into these careers. So you really have to be disciplined and focused and purposeful about it. And so slowly and methodically, we just worked our, our way. And then we gained a reputation in the industry of being a place women wanted to come because it's one thing saying you want to increase the number of women. It's another to make sure they're comfortable, empowered, know that they can grow. Captain Kate has been a huge recruiter and all of these other amazing women on our bridges. And so we just, um, you know, we did it. And uh, again, I owe the men a tremendous amount of gratitude and it made our brand, people noticed, and it wasn't just us who were happy about it. It was our customers and other people that, you know, there's, there's a big move toward more gender equality and gender balance in so many different industries. And we were a beacon of that. And still celebrity is at the top of the heap when it comes to gender equality. I wonder someday, you know, I've, I've, I fly a lot, as I'm sure you have as well, and probably continue to do where my entire crew on a flight one time was all women, like mm -hmm. in the cockpit, in the back mm -hmm. of the plane, like mm -hmm. everybody was. Yeah. You yeah. think, has that happened yet in the cruising industry? So you don't know about my barrier-breaking history-making cruise on March 8th, International Women's Day of 2020, just before we shut down for the pandemic, but still nonetheless exciting, is that 100% of the bridge were women. Amazing. The bridge was manned by 100% women and every leader on the ship was a woman. And we are the only brand that could do that. And it was such an amazing experience and event. And I remember standing in the Grand Plaza during that cruise. Captain Kate was mixing martinis. The associate hotel director, Milana, was playing Led Zeppelin on the electronic guitar. All of our guests were all around the Grand Plaza cheering. The crew was excited. And I looked and we had just introduced the Edge because we introduced her in December of 2018. So maybe a little over a year. And that ship transformed celebrity, transformed the industry, transformed our financial performance. And here I am on this cruise with all these women that were leading and running this ship and 100% of the bridge being women. And I thought to myself, this is a mic drop moment. I could walk away today and I never dreamed that I could have accomplished all of this. It was just, you know, when you really are able to make a difference in a meaningful way, there's, there's, there's nothing like it. And that was, that was my mic drop moment. Well, I rarely do this because for those of you listening, you are hearing this, but I, I am actually looking, Lisa and I are looking at each other on video and I don't know the answer to this question, but I hope I'm correct on this assumption, but behind her head is a purple electric guitar signed yes. in yes. silver writing. Yes. And I'm going to guess that was the electric guitar. 
That was the electric guitar and every woman on that crew signed it because they were so proud of being part of that. And they offloaded the guitar. I didn't know they were giving me this as a gift. They offloaded the guitar at the end of that cruise. They sent it to the office for me, but I left the office that Friday and never went back for 15 months. 15 months later, I walked into my office and I saw that purple guitar. And I get goosebumps telling the story because it brought back such a beautiful memory. And yes, all of those women were so happy and proud to be part of that. And they gifted me that electric guitar. So good guess, Tiffany. And I hang that proudly. And I look at it every day as a reminder of that extraordinary time. But that's what it's all about. I think lots of people aspire to or want to or think being a leader would be great, right? Uh, fun and challenging. and But not again, not that I did it to your level, but I have those kinds of memories and it's like, that's yeah. what it's really all about, yeah. right? It's yeah. that kind of mic drop moment that gives yeah. you goosebumps when you yeah. replay it in your mind. Yeah. And yeah. if you're a first time leader, you're a team lead, you're only leading five people or you're leading a company like Lisa, it's the same feeling, I yeah. think. It is. It is. And I had progressive leadership roles within the company and the ones that stand out for me are the ones that have had an impact on people in a way that never would have happened before if you hadn't been the catalyst to make that happen. And we all have that power in us. And that, I think, is the best part of leadership. You know, listen, I worked really hard for 30 years to get into the position. I got extraordinary results. I you know, I worked hard. I made sure that I was doing the things that were it was going to take to get me there. But all of that is not near as meaningful as the impact I've been able to make on people's lives in a way that they never would have experienced had it not been for something I could have done or given them that opportunity. That, that was the best part of what I did, bar, bar none. Yeah. And, and I think it's such an important message. And it's really the, you know, subtitle of your book. It's a rise to the top using smarts, heart and courage. Right. And that is yep. all about heart, what you just talked yep. about. Yep. And then courage is, is really this, you know, someone else seeing your talent and saying, no, I think you should go do this and having the courage to go, well, right. yep. <laughs> here we go. Yep. You know, don't know what's going to happen. I know who knows what's going to happen. I'm going to just, what is, what did Betty Davis say? You know, strap on your seatbelt. You're in for a bumpy ride. And sometimes it was a bumpy ride. And I really wanted the book to be a real representation of what it's like. It's not easy. It's people don't always tell you, yes, I was told no so many times as I was navigating my career and asking for promotions. Um, I had failures, you know, along the way, which nobody wants to have, but which made me a better leader and smarter. And I learned more from those than, than all the good things. It's taking risks, having the courage to take risks, like redesigning and repositioning a brand and, you know, bringing out a series of edge class that the industry never thought cruise ships could be. And so, you know, those are the things that, you know, that you have to, you know, be willing to do and, and have a great group of people around you to do it because I always knew that, you know what, no matter what I accomplished, I didn't do it by myself. I did it because other people were equally committed to the outcome. And I will, you know, and I will never forget that. And you also can't uh, underestimate how much appreciation you owe people for all that they have done for you throughout your career. 
Yeah, it's the lives you touch and those that touch your lives. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what the tombstone should say, not your bank yeah. account. Yeah, exactly. Well, let me take one last pivot before we wrap this up, because a lot of what you've just talked about, I'm going to use my terms here, is really about kind of the experience the people who worked with you and for you felt at at the company, right? I mean, at the end of the day, the celebrity brand and the company, that's how they felt, right? They were inspired and worked hard and, you know, had a leader and felt like that's the lighthouse. I'm following that lighthouse. Like, let's go. But you also have the client, customer whatever terminology you would use and the experience they would have. Mm-hmm. And what I've, I've really focused over the last couple of years has been this imbalance actually between leaders who will over pivot to just thinking about the customer and not the employee or thinking about the employee and kind of the customer being secondary. And I think in hospitality specifically, there's no way to decouple those two, right? Because right. Right. The experience is so tied to yep. the employee yep. that you can't you can't get away from it. No. So how did you stay close to both those experience constituents? Because right, they're different. They have different requirements and needs, but yet you can't have one without the other. No, and they are inextricably connected, especially in our industry and our business. So my position was it was always all about the customer because the customer. You know, when we were building the Edge series, we were going to grow uh, by 72% over a five-year period of time. So we needed to bring in a lot more customers than we had, and we needed to keep the customers we had very happy so they would continue to come back. And so it was always about how we take care of the customer. And by me taking care of the employee, they were taking care of the customer. And they were happy. And they loved what they did. And it manifested itself in how they treated the customer and how they treated each other and the environment that you would feel when you immediately walked on one of our ships. I could always tell within 10 minutes what the leadership was like on a ship just by feeling it, you know, because you become really in tune to that. And so it's, I, I call it trickle down leadership. You know, it's like how I treat the crew is how they treat the customer. They understand what we're trying to do. I tell them the why. I don't just say, here's what you have to go out and do for your job. I tell them why it's so important. And then they become invested, you know, in making that happen. And I care about them and they care about me. And I always have found that the discretionary effort you get from this reciprocal caring is priceless. It's honestly priceless. Yeah. And I think that leaders forget about that. You know, this, uh, you call it in the book, Diamond in the Rough, right? This kind of management by wandering around, finding Mm -hmm. your ability to Mm -hmm. find the answers to maybe challenges you have or opportunities that you have from the people who are actually doing the job versus running your business from a spreadsheet and financial results. Right. Right. And also being in tuned enough with the crew and what they're doing and watching and being accessible and even identifying those diamonds in the rough that are like, I think that person has real potential. And, and the crew knowing that when I come on board, I'm looking for the good and the positive and ways to elevate them versus me coming on board and them being afraid I'm coming because, you know, the president CEO is coming. And I never wanted, I never wanted intimidation to be part of how I led. I found that a very negative energy that just really was a terrible way to lead, especially for all of these amazing people who come from all over the world and leave their families and their children for months at a time. It's like they deserved more from me than that. And so I took a very different approach to how I made sure I led. Well, I could keep going. 
like for at least another hour. I don't know how you feel, but I'm having a great conversation <laughs> with too. you. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like oh, do we have to stop this? <laughs> so unfortunately, we have to start to wrap it up. But I, I want to sort of bring us back to Making Waves because, I, first of all, I think it's a great title, great on the, on the marketing uh, on that one. Thank you. But what's the first thing, you know, all of us and our listeners can do tomorrow to start making waves in their own career and life in a, in a way that brings them as much joy as you clearly have for the career that you were so fortunate of having? You know, my thing is, is like, never give up. Don't take no for an answer and just take risks. You know, sometimes the way you make waves is you take risks and, you know, waves are choppy and don't be afraid of that. You know, I, my subtitle is very purposeful as well. Smarts, heart, and courage. You know, what it, when I was wrapping up the book, I was thinking, okay, this is a 10 chapter book. It's not, you know, it, it, I'm hoping it's an easy read and an interesting read and people who have read the book said they couldn't wait for the next chapter. And that's what I was going for. But in the end, you know, be, because I'm sales and marketing and a storyteller, and at the end of the day, it's like, how do I wrap this up? I really wanted to wrap it up and say, all right, if you're reading this book and you come to the end, what are the three things that you really need? You need smarts. I mean, honestly, you can't, if, unless you know a lot and have experience and are intelligent, you're not going to, you know, keep ascending into higher level roles. You need to have a heart because I truly believe as a leader, heart is, is your secret sauce, but you need to have courage. And for me, that's, you know, it takes courage to take risks. And I think that's how you make waves. Well, Lisa, it's been a pleasure. Again, for all of you listening, Lisa's new book, Making Waves, A Woman's Rise to the Top Using Smarts, Heart, and Courage. Uh, it's a fantastic read. Please go pick up a copy and tell your friends and gift it to those that you hope will become amazing leaders one day, even if it's yourself. Um, and how can people keep in touch with you, Lisa, and, and follow your work? My website, lisalutoffperlo.com. And uh, that's how you can follow me and find out more about me. And Tiffany, I can't thank you enough for this opportunity today. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you again. Thanks, everybody, for listening into this episode of What's Next. I'm your host, Tiffany Bova. Don't forget to leave us a review, share with your friends, and I will look forward to having you join us again next time. Have a great day. <laughs>